Let's go ahead and get started if we can, please. Any of you kids that are coming on in, you're welcome to come on down. Come on down. I've always had a dream that I would hear those words, come on down, you're the next contestant on The Price is Right, but it never happened. All right, books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd and 1st This is how 
that all of you are here tonight. Looks like we've got a pretty good crowd. And uh, if y'all are participating tonight anyway, like these kids are, our classes are going to be very good. Uh, they've really opened up tonight and I appreciate that. Uh, just a couple of reminders. Uh, the gospel meeting is taking place this week at Marietta and uh, we're going to be taking the bus tomorrow night. We'll leave at 630 for anybody who wants to go. Also, I want to remind you that Maywood is right around the corner, July 23rd through the 29th. And if you're not registered, please do so today. And again, let me just go ahead and mention <coughs> that our fifth Sunday contribution is coming up on Jan uh, July the 30th. Our food pantry and clothes closet will be opened this coming Thursday from 9 until 1030. We'd love for you to come and help. And ladies, if you, uh, those of you ladies that would like to help with the baby shower in honor of Lauren Brumley, there'll be a meeting on July the 30th. Also note that there's no bulletin this week, so if you have any announcements, I'm sure you can call me or Ken or Chris Langley or somebody. We'll get that out on social media, and everything will continue to run smoothly. That's all the announcements that I have. Uh, let's uh, go to God in prayer, then we'll have a song for our teachers to go to class. Will you bow with me? Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for all you do for us. We want to thank you for the way that you bless us. We ask your continued blessings upon the church here at Boonville. We're thankful for each member. We're thankful for all the continued good that's done at this place. Continue to bless this church that it'll be a shining light in this community. Father, we pray that you would bless us in our Bible study tonight. May we open up our hearts and minds to your word and make proper applications to our lives. Again, Father, we ask that you be with the many that we know that are sick and also those who are grieving over the loss of loved ones. Most of all, Father, we are so appreciative and thankful for your son who gave his life on the cross for our sins, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Okay. All right, let's close out with this. Teach God made me, God made me in my mind.
Testing. Oh, here we go. Okay, good. All right, we are very happy to have all of you here tonight. It's good to see you. Uh, it's hard to believe July is uh, coming to a close. Today is the 16th, right? So we've got about two more classes, and uh, we're going to try to finish strong uh, with some very good information about marriage. Uh, this particular lesson that we've been dealing with, after we talked about uh, the importance of marriage to start with, after we talked about the responsibilities of husbands and then the responsibilities of wives, this particular lesson has been dealing with how to have a happy marriage. And of course, we begin that discussion uh, by talking about how we need to have the proper foundation, which is God and His Word. We also emphasize the importance of having a healthy uh, physical relationship. We talked about various principles regarding that. And then we spent some time talking about communication and uh, the proper way that we need to uh, communicate with one another and some practical aspects of communication that would be helpful to us in our marriage relationship. As the bell rang last week, we were introducing our thoughts on uh, the proper attitudes that contribute to a happy marriage. And, you know, we kind of left off uh, in one area that I want to kind of add on to tonight. I spent some time this afternoon uh, writing down some things and going over some things that I thought might need to be said. We were talking about forgiveness and how we need to have a forgiving attitude. And, uh, you know, we had some questions about, you know, how far do we go uh, when we forgive, and what does that forgiveness involve? And before we move on to the next point about unselfishness, I want us to uh, spend a t some time just briefly on forgiving, uh, particularly in the marriage relationship, and uh, make some appropriate applications. You know, knowing how to forgive your partner, uh, letting go of past hurts is a critical tool in any relationship. It's very critical. Uh, forgiveness is also healthy for you, both personally as well as physically. Uh, in fact, forgiving and letting go may be one of the most important ways that you can keep your relationship going strong. Now, we know that some transgressions are so harm harmful and so hurtful that a relationship can't survive. And even though some transgressions are very harmful and extremely hurtful, forgiveness can still, I believe, play a role in helping you move on past the hurt, uh, the deep, dark hurt. And uh, I just want to briefly tonight, and I, if you want to give me your input, I'd appreciate it, let's talk about and discuss how to forgive your partner who has hurt you and to move forward with your life. Let's think about some benefits, first of all, of knowing how to forgive your partner. Think about this. What are some benefits of forgiving one who's offended you, particularly a marriage partner? You know, holding on to old hurts and holding on to disappointments and petty annoyances and betrayals, insensitivity and anger is going to waste both your time and your energy. Uh, nursing your hurt, whether that hurt is real or perceived for too long, is eventually going to lead you to hate and bitterness. And you don't want to get to that particular point. That's why holding on to those hurtful things and not letting go can be so harmful. And being unforgiving also takes a very physical and a mental role on somebody. Uh, resentment gains momentum, it chips away at the foundation of your well-being and relationship. Instead, you know, you need to share your feelings. Maybe you go to a counselor or you have somebody that you really are close to that you can share those feelings with. In fact, health experts at John Hopkins University report that the act of forgiveness can actually reduce the risk of heart attack. You ever thought about that? Forgiveness can reduce uh, the likelihood of a heart attack. It can lower your cholesterol levels. 
you know, also cutting out on that ham and bacon probably wouldn't hurt too much either, but, you know, uh, this can lower your cholesterol levels. It can improve your sleep. It also can reduce pain. It can lower your blood pressure when you're willing to forgive. Uh, it will decrease levels of anxiety and depression and stress, as well as provide other benefits. Now, from a practical standpoint, and I don't intend to spend a lot of time on this, uh, but I, I want us to look at this. How do you forgive your partner? How do you forgive somebody? Well, there are various techniques that maybe can help you foster forgiveness when you've experienced betrayal. You know, betrayal is like a gut punch, isn't it, that, that just doesn't go away. And uh, the kind of hurt you've suffered can make a difference in which works for you. Uh, certainly, it's a lot more difficult to forgive somebody for years of infidelity, isn't it, than for a minor mistake, such as forgetting to pay the important bill, right? Maybe the electricity gets cut off. That's a minor thing. Uh, that's a little easier to forgive than uh, continuous infidelity. Uh, you need to be patient with yourself as, as you experience with different strategies. Uh, I think the first thing you need to consider is you need to be open and receptive to forgiveness. Uh, secondly, you need to make a conscious decision that you're going to forgive. It's not going to be easy, but you need to be open and receptive to forgiveness, and you need to make a conscious decision to forgive. And then also, think of, the calming, think of a calming place or, or do something else to distract yourself when you have those flashbacks of betrayal that trigger negative thoughts. Uh, you know, that's something that I think would be very, very important. Also, refrain from throwing a mistake back in a remorseful partner's face or always using that as ammunition in an argument. And then, accept that you may never know the reason why this hurtful betrayal and behavior took place. You may never know the real reason. Also, refrain from seeking revenge or retribution. You don't want to get them back, don't you, right? You know, what goes around comes around, you know? Uh, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You need to refrain from that. Trying to get even is only going to extend your pain, and it probably won't make you feel better anyway. Also, remember that forgiveness does not mean that you condone this hurtful behavior. Just because you forgive does not mean you condone it. And you need to be patient with yourself. Forgiveness takes time. It's not something that, you know, just takes place at the snap of a finger. It may take a long time to get over this. And so... Be patient with yourself. Realize that forgiving somebody takes time. Don't hurry the process. Uh, seek professional counseling if you're still unable to forgive or if you're unable to stop dwelling on the hurt. Also, you need to think about the fact that forgiveness is a conscious decision to release the feelings you have of resentment. And it's a crucial tool in processing hurt and moving on. Even though you will probably find forgiveness very difficult, it's essential for your own benefit in the long haul. Now, when is forgiveness not enough? When is it not enough to forgive? You know, if your partner abuses you, and I, I, I've seen it, I've dealt with it since I've been here, people that have come that have been physically abused by a spouse, that, that just, you know... To me, the thing that stirs anger in me more than anything else is when children are abused. You know, uh, to me, the, so anybody that abuses children shouldn't have the right to even live. Uh, that's just my own opinion, you know. But uh, let's just say there's abuse uh, such as physical abuse. And uh, if a partner abuses you, they continue to betray you, they continue to lie to you, or makes no real effort at all to even change their behavior, it may be time to get out of there. It may be time 
and it probably is in some situations to split. Uh, that kind of behavior calls for a very serious evaluation. Uh, when your major concerns are not going away, despite your efforts to extend forgiveness, maybe it's time to think about separating from that spouse uh, for a while and uh, see what happens from there. But, but how do you forgive somebody that has hurt you so deeply? How do you go about forgiving somebody that has just devastated you with a great hurt? Deep hurts are very difficult to forgive. I think it's essential to acknowledge the harm that was done. You need to recognize the harm that was done to you and not try to hide from it and recognize the, the, the emotional and physical impact that that's had on you. You need to be able to, to deal with that and understand that. Also, allow yourself to feel upset. There's nothing wrong with grieving. There's nothing wrong with being terribly upset uh, because somebody has betrayed you. Somebody has deeply hurt you. And you need to allow yourself that particular uh, attitude of grieving and being upset. Also, remind yourself that forgiveness can be a way of releasing the hold uh, that act has over you. You know, uh, forgiveness is a way to, to get rid of that resentment and to begin the process of healing. It does not absolve the other person. It does not suggest that the offense was in any way acceptable whatsoever. Instead, it's going to allow you, the one that's been deeply hurt, to move on from that hurt and begin to relinquish the pain that's been caused. Well, can you forgive someone who's still hurting you? You know, here's somebody that continues to hurt you. Well, you can forgive someone who continues to hurt you, who continues to let you down. Uh, I think a good example of this uh, might be a parent forgiving of an adult child that maybe keeps relapse, relapsing, you know, to drug addiction. You know, there's no stronger love than that which a parent has for a child. You know, I always told my children, no matter what you do, we'll always love you. My parents told me that. You know, we'll always love you no matter what. Our love for you will never, ever change no matter what. And so uh, when somebody continues to hurt you, when somebody continues to let you down, uh, you can forgive them. In such cases, you know, maybe you can create some boundaries. That's important. Uh, you know, whatever those boundaries may be, it depends on the offense. And, uh, you know, let go of the need to control and just view that person, I think, with an attitude of compassion. Who needs help? You know, if somebody's physically sick, we need to have compassion on them, don't we? We have compassion on them. We have, passion, we have compassion on people uh, when uh, there's some kind of uh, physical need that they may have. And maybe that attitude uh, can also help you uh, achieve the attitude of forgiveness that you need to have. And in cases where a person makes no effort to change, uh, despite knowing how badly they're hurting you, it's important to you know, consider the future of the relationship. Uh, while you may be able to forgive, that doesn't mean that you have to stay in that relationship uh, continually uh, being hurt and taken advantage of. And, and while you might be able to forgive, that doesn't mean you need to stay. You know, forgiveness doesn't mean that you stay in that abusive relationship. Uh, ending that relationship uh, can allow you maybe to practice forgiveness. It can protect yourself from future hurt, and uh, you can move on into a more in a more positive way. That's, those are just some thoughts that, that I wanted to share with you tonight as we think about the importance of forgiveness. Uh, anything that y'all might want to add to that tonight? Anything y'all want to add to that? Any questions or comments? Feel free to speak up. Speak now, forever hold your peace, as we would say. All right. As we think about these uh, attitudes that contribute to a happy marriage, the next attitude...
that we want to mention that we briefly introduced last week was having an unselfish attitude. Uh, to me, selfishness is a great enemy, not only in relationships, but selfishness, I think, is the ultimate enemy when it comes to being a Christian, when it comes to our relationship with God. An unselfish attitude will contribute to a happy marriage, whereas selfishness has a way of destroying that relationship. Uh, Webster defines selfishness as being excessively concerned for one's own welfare at the expense or disregard of another. And you know that's not going to lead to a healthy relationship, is it, in a marriage, when you're out for yourself and only for yourself. Also, he says that uh, selfishness is concentrating on one's own pleasures and one's own desires and well-being without any regard for others. You know, sometimes we see uh, in the news about some world leader in a third world country. He's got millions and millions and millions of dollars while the people that he is over in that country are starving to death, right? You know, he just wants more and more, this leader does, and while his people continue to suffer. And so selfishness will accomplish no good. It will simply lead to harm and hurt and destruction. Now, that concept is in direct conflict with, with God's will, which says in Philippians 2 and verse 3, look not every man on his own things, but what? Every man also on the things of others. In lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Some people say, well, I don't know any better than me. I don't know anybody better than me. There's some people that would actually say that, you know. Uh, but, you know, in lowliness of mind and humility, you're to consider all other people better than you are. And I think that's important for us to understand. Now, uh, husbands and wives must endeavor, if they're going to have a happy relationship, to put one another first in that relationship because, you know, that's inherent, I believe, in the commands to leave and to cleave, to leave father and mother and cleave and be joined to your wife. And so a husband and a wife will act unselfishly in marriage, first of all, when they treat their mate the way they want to be treated. They practice the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And if husbands and wives can practice the golden rule, uh, then they act unselfishly. Also, honestly evalu evaluate yourself and your motives. You know, we need to take some time sometime to look in the mirror and look at our motives and, and see ourselves as we really are. And a husband and wife act unselfishly when each one is willing to do that. Also, you need to pursue spiritual and heavenly things more than temporal and worldly things. 1 John 2 says what? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the world, is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And so, you know, loving the world is going to lead one to having a selfish attitude. You know, to be honest with it, there's a lot of people that would just soon stay here on this earth and not even think about going to heaven. They just, you know, we're so focused right now on our job and having material things and, and uh, you know, whatever we're enjoying here in life. Some people are just pretty content to stay right here. Instead, we've got to realize that the Bible teaches over and over again that we don't belong here. Now, I don't know if you're like me. You know, you go on vacation, and it's good to go on vacation. You enjoy it. But remember, uh, when you leave and go back home, how do you feel? How do you feel when you, when you return home from a vacation? Boy, I'm so excited to be back in my own bed, right? It's, oh, it's so good to be back home. Well, this earth might be similar to a type of vacation. I don't mean it's enjoyable like that all the time. But what I mean is we don't belong in this world. We're strangers. We're pilgrims. You know, if you visit another country or you visit uh, <clears throat> another part of, the, of this country in another state where things are different here, you always want to go home. You don't feel like you really belong there. 
I don't know if you've ever been to a place. If you ever go to Atlanta, you know, and hang out in town, you're going to think, what in the world have I got myself into here? You know, people talking all kinds of different languages and, you know, and you, you stick out like a sore thumb, it seems like. Uh, that's what happened to me when I visited San Francisco a couple of times. Those folks were coming after me out there, you know. They could tell somehow I was from Alabama. And they try to finagle me for money or whatever. They just could spot me. But anyhow, you know, that, I, didn't want to, I didn't want to live there. I didn't want to stay there. You know, I wanted to go home. Well, that's how we ought to feel as Christians. This world's not our home. We're just passing through. And we can't get too comfortable here. We've got to realize uh, where uh, true value is and true priorities are. Uh, the things which are seen are temporary. Things which are not seen are eternal. And therefore, uh, just as uh, those uh, people in the hall of fame of the faithful, they're to keep their focus and their eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Uh, you know, those guys look for uh, a, a house not made with hands whose builder and ruler is God. And so we can't love this world. Also, if a husband and wife will act unselfishly, they'll strive to imitate the unselfish attitude of Jesus. Now, we know the unselfish attitude that Jesus manifested, right? From Philippians 2, we're admonished to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, we tell people you need to have the mind of Christ. How did Christ behave? Well, he gave up the glories of heaven, right? He humbled himself, uh, was made in the likeness of men. He became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. And uh, we need to have that kind of an attitude if we're going to act unselfishly as husbands and wives. Jesus said, I'm not here to be served, but I'm here to serve. That was his purpose. Uh, and that's the attitude we need to have. Also, husbands and wives will act unselfishly if they try to practice daily uh, self-renewal. You know, the Bible says in Romans 12 and verse 2, uh, how we are to renew our minds that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Renewal of the mind is a continual process, isn't it? We're always in an attitude of repentance when we learn things that we need to change, and we see things that we need to be different in our lives, we make those changes, right? It's the renewing of the mind. It's something that we're constantly involved in. And if we'll do that, then uh, we'll be practicing unselfishness. And then we need to think about the fact that marriage is not for self-gratification, but instead it's to help nurture others. And if a husband and wife will remember that, then they can practice unselfishness. And then they need to embrace the fruits of the Spirit. Y'all know what the fruits of the Spirit are? Y'all been paying attention? What are they? Love? Y'all remember them? Can you say them? Huh? We got two-year-olds that can say it. Can y'all say it? Love, joy. Do we need to sing it? Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Uh, you know, we, if we practice those things, you think about how that would revolutionize not only your own life, uh, but it would revolutionize a relationship, particularly in marriage. You know, more love, joy, practicing peace. I mean, you're talking about heaven on earth. Uh, that's about as close as you can get if you uh, put those fruits of the Spirit into your everyday practice. Now, what are some reasons that we struggle with selfishness in our marriages? And I think these are going to be up here. Maybe they won't be. I, I, I apologize again for not making this PowerPoint in more detail. Uh, there's so much information here. I just, I just didn't have the time. I didn't think to do that. But what are some reasons we struggle sometimes? I know why I struggle with selfishness, particularly in our marriage. First of all, maybe we don't understand what marital love really is completely. Now, Ephesians 5 talks about the bride of Christ, right? Husbands love your wives, how? Even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Maybe we don't understand the true meaning of marital love. That great love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 
uh, particularly beginning in verse 4, talks about how love acts and how love behaves. Love is patient and kind and so forth. And uh, these are some things that we need to understand, and not only understand, but apply to our relationships. Another reason that we struggle uh, with selfishness in our marriage is that we have embraced somehow, maybe even unconsciously, the world's materialistic philosophy. Uh, the world's materialistic philosophy could be summarized in Luke 12 and verse 15 where Jesus said, A man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. If we're not careful, we could have the same mindset of the world, right? How valuable is a person? Well, it depends on the job they have. It depends on the social status they have. It depends on how popular they are. It depends on the material things that they have, the kind of clothes they wear and so forth. And if we're not careful, we can buy into that mindset of focusing on the physical and emphasizing the physical and material to the exclusion of having a relationship with, with God and uh, putting things of heaven uh, above those things that are of material in nature. And uh, maybe we have embraced that just a little bit too much. And whenever we begin to embrace the materialistic attitude of life, then that naturally is going to be an enemy of uh, being selfless. Uh, another reason why we struggle with selfishness in our marriage is we consider our wants more important than others. You know, somebody, some people are just truly selfish people. They're in it for them and nobody else. Uh, what's in it for me? Uh, that's the number one question that always comes up above, you know, what's good for anybody else or how could this better the whole group versus me? Uh, I'm number one. How's this going to benefit me? Then I don't care about the rest of it. Uh, that's one reason we struggle with it. And the last reason I'll give is that we have forgotten our ultimate accountability to God. We've forgotten that one day every knee shall bow Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. I think we've forgotten that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. And one day we're all going to give an account of our lives before God. And if we forget about that accountability, uh, then uh, we are going to struggle with selfishness in our marriage. All right, any comments on that point? Any comments on an unselfish attitude? All right, let's move on to another attitude. We talked about a forgiving attitude. These are attitudes we need to have in marriage. We talked about uh, an unselfish attitude that we need to have in a happy marriage. Uh, the third point I want to make would be an encouraging attitude uh, will contribute to a happy marriage. I know I falter in this sometimes. You know, a lot of people may come to me for help and I'll try to encourage them in every way that I can, but sometimes I may not be as willing to take time for members of my own family, right? You know, I, I could possibly neglect uh, my own spouse in that particular regard. And, uh, you know, preachers, uh, some, you know, have a history of uh, maybe they spend so, many, so much time preaching and teaching, they lose their own families, you know? Uh, to me, Noah was a great person. Uh, he saved his family. He did a great job, I think, because, you know, all of his family were saved in the ark. And I may go out and seek and save the lost and baptize, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people. What if I lose my own family? You know, I, I don't want to lose my own family in the process. And so I need to be encouraging toward my spouse. I need to be encouraging toward my family. And uh, the Lord doesn't want the husband or the wife to become discouraged. Uh, I think the message of Jesus is found in Matthew 14, verse 27, where the Lord said, Be of good cheer. And yet everybody, I believe, from time to time gets discouraged, don't we? The best of us get down. The best of us get discouraged. It may be uh, something outside of ourselves that causes that discouragement. It could be any number of things that could cause us to be discouraged. It may be that, you know, our body is doing something that uh, medicine could help us out with. You know, it's no more, uh, it ought not be a stigma 
in any way to take care of your mental health. If you break your arm, you go to the orthopedic, don't you? Anybody, fuss or, anybody think anything bad about you for going to the orthopedic if you break your ankle? Uh, if you got a bad case of the flu and you go to the doctor, is anybody going to look down on you because you went to the doctor? Hopefully not. Well, when mentally, you know, the chemical imbalance is there and things are not going as they should, that's going to have an impact on how you feel. It's going to have an impact on your emotions. No stigma at all should be attached to going at, to a mental health doctor. Uh, we have trained, great trained physicians today that have helped thousands and millions of people uh, because of a chemical imbalance. And, you know, a lot of this is caused by stress. You know, stress is a, a great, great factor in what can cause our chemicals to, to get out of whack sometimes. And uh, we live in one of the most stressful times in the history of the world. And uh, sometimes it's just hard to handle it all, isn't it? Sometimes we just, wanna, we just fall underneath the load. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, I want to I wanna try to do better when that happens. And, you know, we need to encourage one another when that happens. Just like you would encourage somebody that has a physical sickness, you ought to be there to encourage them when there's a mental type of sickness as well. And so we all get discouraged from time to time. Uh, I think about Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, I'm really amazed by what Elijah did on Mount Carmel. Uh, you'll recall that uh, there was going to be a contest on Mount Carmel, right? Uh, he told Ahab to, to have those 450 prophets of Baal show up. And, and you know, each group, uh, the prophets of Baal went first. They were going to build their altar. And, uh, and then Elijah was going to build his altar and sacrifice. And the God who answers by fire, let him be God, right? Well, those prophets of Baal, man, they just went ballistic all day long trying to coerce their God to answer by fire. You know, uh, Elijah even made fun of them. You know, maybe your God's on a trip or maybe he's in a deep sleep and he can't hear you. You need to pray all the louder. Or maybe your God's on a trip somewhere. And the Bible says, you know, toward evening, they, those prophets of Baal began to cut themselves with lances. They were doing everything they could to coerce their God, Baal, to answer by fire. And at the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah said, listen, I want everybody to come near. I want you to pay attention carefully to what's about to happen. And Elijah, you know, built his altar. He built a big trench around that altar, and gallons upon gallons and gallons of water were poured inside that trench. Even the sacrifice itself was just drenched with water. And Elijah called upon his God, and we read that fire came down from heaven, and it devoured that sacrifice. It licked up all the water there. And everybody on that occasion knew that God was God, didn't they? And on that day, Elijah said, don't you let a single prophet of Baal escape. And on that day, what happened? 450 prophets of Baal were slain. I mean, Elijah's a hero, isn't he? He's the champion. He, he led an entire nation to repentance. But what happened? You turn over in your Bibles one page to one chapter, 1 Kings 19. And Jezebel, the old wicked king, queen, sent word to uh, Elijah, by this time tomorrow, you're going to be like the prophets of Baal. You're going to be a dead man. I told you, that would bother me. It really would. It would unnerve me too. I might run like Elijah did to hide somewhere. And we're not talking about some you know, crazy person out here making an idle threat somewhere that maybe couldn't act on it. This is uh, somebody in power. He said, by this time tomorrow, you're a dead man. And the Bible says he went for his life. And he sat down, and Elijah asked that he might die. Here's a man that was so discouraged and so distraught that he wanted his life gone. He wanted God to take away his life. What was his attitude? I'm the only one trying to do what's right. God, they've slain your prophets with a sword. They're, they've thrown down your altars. And, and I, even I own, only am left, and they're seeking my life. You know, what's happened here? 
Just a day before, Elijah was on top of the mountain, wasn't he? I mean, he was the champion of Israel, and now he's so discouraged, he wants to die. Have you ever been that way before? Have you ever been down in the dumps like that because of some situations? You know? I'm glad that God came to Elijah and said, Listen, Elijah, i got some things I want you to do. He told Elijah three things that I want you to go ahead and do, and Elijah went on to become a, the great you know, prophet that we know him to be. But the point I'm trying to make is, Elijah became so distraught and so discouraged that he wanted to die. Now, it's possible for us to feel that way. It's possible for us to become discouraged. And uh, every one of us uh, are going to feel that way from time to time. None of us are immune from discouragement. Therefore, uh, when a spouse becomes discouraged, what can a mate do? Well, I think there's some parallels here between what we can do for our mate to what we do for one another in the body of Christ. First of all, you know, if your mate is discouraged, I think you can help them as their spouse to focus on God and put their trust in God. I think you can talk about uh, how important a relationship with God is and how God is there for you and uh, how God is going to protect you and help you. You can help somebody focus on that. And that's the first thing I think we can do is to help them focus on God. Secondly, I think we can assist them in counting their blessings. You know, we're down and out about this particular matter, right? We're discouraged about, I'm discouraged about this situation. But just think about all the other things that's going on in your life. You know, focus on the good things. What does it say? When upon life's billows we are, you know, tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost? Count your many blessings, right? Name them one by one. It'll surprise you what the Lord has done. So maybe we can help that person, that spouse, uh, look at other good things. And we can do that also, you know, with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Number three, we can pray with them and for them. I can't tell you how many times I've known and heard of people, and maybe even my own life, uh, been discouraged about something, and you pray to God, and all of a sudden, I don't know why, things seem to be better, doesn't it? Right? The Bible says, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Uh, Philippians uh, chapter 4 and verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. In other words, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. And then notice verse 7, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer is a very powerful tool. Prayer is a way to get God to do things He normally wouldn't do if we didn't pray. Uh, the effectual fervent prayer, James says, of a righteous man avails much. It does much good. And so uh, we can pray with that spouse. We can pray for them. Uh, you know, there's nothing more encouraging to me than for somebody to tell me, I'm praying for you. You know, we encourage people when we pray for them. And so that's one thing that we can do. Uh, next, we can encourage them to just step back and refocus. You know, just like Elijah's situation, when he was so discouraged he wanted to die, God wanted him just to kind of take a step back and, and kind of refocus and see things that, as they really are. You know, there's 7,000 that still hadn't bowed to Baal. You're not the only one, Elijah. You know, there's still work for you to do. And sometimes, you know, we can encourage somebody by just having them kind of to step back a little bit, look at things from a different perspective, and refocus. Another thing that we can do is to help them fight and to conquer self-pity. You know, it's easy for us to feel sorry for ourselves sometimes. It's easy for us to do that. But instead of, of uh, lying around in self-pity, we think about what Paul said in Galatians 2 and verse 20. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ living in me. He said, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live... Now, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, who am I really? I'm a child of God. God 
God gave himself for me. And uh, my life is different because of that. Uh, how I live is different because of that. And so we can help that spouse overcome self-pity. Another thing that we can do is to reaffirm their value and importance. Sometimes we may begin to think that we're just not valuable anymore. We're not really uh, worth that much anymore. There's not much really I can do anymore. I don't think I'm all that important anymore. Uh, I don't think I can do much for the Lord. Uh, you know, we become discouraged. We lose our value and importance. And without going into detail, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 through 27 points out, uh, Paul speaking there to the Corinthians about the importance of every individual member of the body, right? You know, the foot can't say I'm more, more important than another member of the body. You ever stub your big toe? If you're like me, you're going down. If you stub that big toe, that big toe is important, right? What happens if you didn't have your big toe? You lose your balance, right? Every member of our body is important. There's not one, you know, uh, the eye can't say it's more important than the hearing and so forth. All are valuable. All mean a lot in the service of God. And so, that's right, everybody's valuable. And so we can remember uh, their value, help them to reaffirm their importance. Also remind them that they are not and will not ever be alone. No matter where you are, you're not alone. God says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Uh, Psalms 23 uh, is so very, very uh, helpful to us in situations where we feel alone. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear none evil. Why? You are with me. We're never alone. And we can remind them that they're not alone. We're here for you. I'm here for you. God's here for you. Then quickly, uh, we can remind them that the cause of their discouragement is temporary. You know, one thing that you particularly observe when a teenager commits suicide, this really bothers me. You know, you think about uh, suicide's the highest uh, cause of death among teenagers today. They look for a permanent solution to a temporary problem. That's what happens. You know, a permanent solution to just a temporary problem. This problem is not going to last. It's going to change. Things aren't going to stay like this. And we can encourage people by getting them to understand uh, that their cause for discouragement is only temporary. All right, next week we'll begin the last attitude that I want to talk about and then move on, a trusting attitude. I want to thank you all for your attention. People are getting out of class. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.